0: Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson. And there is a very common, but maybe not so well understood uh, part of the world, which is uh, foreign people, non-U.S. people wanting to invest in U.S. markets, not wanting to get caught up in the U.S. tax system on many different levels, both income tax and estate tax. And there are some clever ways to sort of work, work around that, to talk about that and many other things. Kerry Stamp is joining me today. Kerry, thank you for for uh, joining me. Glad to be here. Thanks, Brent. Uh, so that everybody in the world uh, who doesn't already know who you are knows who you are why don't you at least give us like a high level
1: so uh, I have a financial advisory firm where uh, I spend most of my time in Tequesta, Florida which is right next to uh, Jupiter Island but the rest of the time I uh, spend in a couple of other offices one is in uh, Chicago and the other one is in Stanford Connecticut uh, we manage investments for uh, quite a few different families in these uh, locations most of them are business executives hedge fund executives uh, business owners. Diaper. And I've got a team of about 20 people. Uh, we also work in uh, the foreign national markets, which is uh, what you mentioned earlier. So I'm a certified financial planner, and I've been a financial advisor for uh, almost 32 years now. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to believe. <laughs> hard for
0: whom? Hard for you or for your kids?
1: Well, uh, probably both. But, uh <laughs> You know, for me, for me, uh, the concept that I've been doing this uh, for that long is is a little bit startling. But uh, every every day I walk into the office and I pinch myself because I get to work with people that I like. I get to work with some of the uh, smartest and brightest clients, uh, both in the United States and around the world. And it, it's afforded me a life that I probably never could have imagined.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good thing. I I um, I don't know about you. I, I mean, I haven't been. Uh in my practice for 30 years but I do recall back uh, when I was a brand new baby baby lawyer and I was talking to another lawyer and that lawyer said something like well oh, I've been practicing for 10 years let's say they said 10 years and I thought 10 years that is forever from now, and I'm well beyond that now, and now when I look back on that, I'm just like, that was like a second. It just happened overnight.
1: Absolutely, I started at 22, and I was way too young, way too wet behind the years, and nobody wants to trust a 22-year-old with their life savings. So uh, the guys that I mentor, because I uh, essentially run a training program for younger financial advisors, Uh, when somebody says, how long have you been in the business, or how long have you been working for Carrie Stampin' Company? I tell them a great answer is, some days it feels like forever. So simply yeah. a deflection, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, I, I've, I've cut my teeth.
0: Yeah. And uh, there's a, not everybody cuts their teeth on the, the foreign national market. So I'm kind of curious about how that can It may, it may be just because of your location, but You can correct me uh, otherwise, but how did you sort of get into that sphere of the world?
1: Well, like a lot of things in my business, uh, this started on a golf course. And I had uh, been to a party with a uh, a group of uh, friends from my daughter's school in uh, North Palm Beach. And one of those uh, people that was at the party uh, happened to uh, be a fairly successful insurance broker in um, Bogota, Colombia. And he lived in the United States, uh, had a business in uh, Colombia, and uh, we ended up deciding that we were going to play golf together. He played at a nice place and I played at a nice place. And so we said, okay, let's uh, go out and play. On the golf course, (laughs) He looks at me and he asked me the question, "Carrie, why, uh, well, first he asked me what products we sell. And I told him what we did. And I said, then we also use life insurance for estate planning for our clients in the US. And then he said, why would anybody buy a permanent insurance policy that has cash value when you can buy term insurance and it's so much cheaper? And I said, well, there could be any number of reasons, but let's say you would already maxed out your 401k, for example, and you wanted to put some money into uh, a vehicle where you could accumulate uh, funds tax-free. You could uh, take retirement income on a tax-free basis and you could essentially choose how you wanted to invest it, whether it was in a fixed investment or it was a uh, variable investment or it was an index-oriented investment. And I explained the process to him. And he said, Kerry, what are you doing next month? And I said, I got a lot of stuff on my plate right now, but what day? And he says, this weekend. I said, okay, what are we doing? He said, we're going to Bogota. And I said, "Um, for what? And he said, what you just described to me is exactly what a bunch of people I know need uh, to uh, be doing so that they can get some money into insurance policies in the United States. And I said, hold on, I don't even know if you can do that. This was in 2014 or 2015. And um, so I had to do a little investigating. and. Turned out that there were some insurance companies that would allow me to sell policies on foreign nationals. So I said to him, okay, there might be something here and I'm willing to go down and make a short reconnaissance trip with you uh, and see what would happen. And so we went to uh, Bogota, Colombia uh, and sat down and talked to some of his clients who were very high net worth individuals, explained to them the process and to a person they were all interested. Not every one of them decided that they wanted to proceed but every single one of them wanted to know a lot more about the concept. So um, the appeal for somebody that lives in Colombia to have a U.S. insurance policy is that it's in U.S. dollars, number one. It's in the United States, number two, and it's in a uh, uh, tax-free vehicle. Number three, and the U.S. dollar thing can't be underestimated because in the last 10 years, the Colombian peso has depreciated against the U.S. dollar by something like 70%. So if you can get assets out of a depreciating currency and into U.S. dollars, uh, it makes them a lot more comfortable. On top of that, they live next door to Venezuela, and the people in Colombia have seen what's happened there, and they are frightened that it could happen also in Colombia. There's an election going on right now, and they're especially frightened.
0: Yeah, it's uh, It's it's not just Colombia. From my experience, there are a lot of people from that part of the world, although it's not unique. There's a lot of people from many parts of the world uh, who are seeking investment opportunities inside of the United States. You mentioned the, the income tax savings on uh, investments through, say, cash value style uh, policy. I mean, that for a, for a non-resident, let's say they're a non-resident, non-citizen investing in the U.S. in typical stocks and bonds, um, they don't pay capital gains tax in the U.S., but what they get is relief from the withholdings tax on the interest and dividends, which can be substantial. The withholdings tax is 30%. So if you imagine every dollar that you get, the, the IRS automatically taxes at 30%. That can be a hefty charge and a hefty drag on your investments. You have to, almost have to factor in the income stream being dragged down by a 30% margin every single year if you're in a country like a, a, a Colombia that doesn't have a, a, a tax treaty with us. So there's a lot of interesting opportunities from that perspective. The other, the other opportunity that comes up that seems to be um, prevalent for us is that for, say, like a Colombian national non-U.S. resident, non-citizen, if they have a life insurance policy that's invested in the U.S., the cash value and and the proceeds on that policy are not subject to estate tax in the United States? Is that is that a compelling uh, factor for your clients who are using those products or, or, or are they thinking about it more from the income tax side?
1: Uh, I would say both. Mm. So the first uh, objective is how can I get some money into the United States that if I have to leave uh, Colombia, I've got cash there. It's already there. And if I want to pull it out of this insurance policy, I can't. That's number one. Uh, number two is certainly the fact that if somebody were to that uh, the insured were to pass away, uh, there is money that goes to them on a tax-free basis in the U.S. And I have been told by multiple uh, Colombian lawyers, I'm not a Colombian lawyer, but I've been told by multiple lawyers that it's also state tax-free to them in Colombia. If they choose to take the funds back uh, to Colombia, That it's proceeds of a life insurance policy and not taxable. So, but... I will also give you the caveat that Columbia has a habit of changing their tax laws uh, every few years. Once the uh, fairly wealthy people figure out what the next workaround is, then they pass a new law, and then you have to figure out what the next workaround is. So um, it's it's an interesting uh, process because there are a lot of requirements that people are not aware of. And if I can, I'd just like to share a few things that uh, uh, people outside the United States, if they're thinking about buying life insurance, need to know.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So uh, the first thing is, it's all part of an underwriting process. And the underwriting process uh, involves uh, knowing that you're a high net worth individual because the insurance companies that are writing these policies want to know that the person that lives in South America or lives in Asia or wherever has the ability to get the highest quality possible health health care. Uh, and they want that because they want the person to live a long time so they don't have to pay the insurance claim. So in most cases, we're talking about families that have a minimum net worth of uh, $5 million. We're also talking about families that have some type of a nexus to the United States. And that nexus could be a family member lives here, their child goes to college here, uh, one of their children was born here. That's a very common situation, which also complicates estate tax planning. Uh, Or they have a business in the United States. They also need to have US bank accounts because Insurance companies require policies to be paid for by U.S. uh, funds coming from U.S. banks. Insurance companies don't want to do the first line of the uh, money laundering uh, review, so they want the banks to do that. So we have to uh, make sure that our clients have accounts here. They have to sign the applications and they have to uh, get their medical exam if it's required. And usually is in the United States. So that's the first layer of working with these uh, folks is underwriting and making sure that you know who the carriers are and what the requirements are for the different carriers. And as I was saying earlier, seven or eight years ago, I had no idea. It's, it's a maze because some insurance companies may want this business, some don't and some may want it this year but they don't want it next year so it's uh the requirements are constantly changing and uh, you need to make sure that you're working with somebody that's keeping up on that.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you is is that a is that an issue where an insured is insuring somebody this year but in the next year they have a change of policy and now you've you've got to flip that into you have to exchange that 1030 35 that into a new policy with an insurer that will take a non-resident
1: no so once a policy is issued uh, they they can't uh, revoke the policy Mm. so these are permanent lifetime policies that are in force as long as the person is alive as long as the premiums are properly paid and as long as the insurance company is in business which raises another point you have to make sure that you're dealing with reputable and reliable insurance carriers and for me going down to colombia as a gringo was a little bit uh different because they're used to working with other colombians they've seen americans come down there and they've seen them uh sell policies that weren't necessarily the highest quality there have been companies that have gone out of business or been companies that you had to fight uh, to get them to pay claims so when i'm talking to a uh, family in Colombia, I'm talking to them about some of the top 10 carriers in the United States that we have programs with where we can write insurance on them that they don't have to worry that some of the folks that uh, I'm dealing with are not going to uh, pay their claims. I can only also speak in generalities when I'm in Colombia. in order for me to actually uh, provide them with very specific information that has to be done in the United States as well. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, but they they need to be very careful because if an insurance company goes down there and, and wants the business very badly and is willing to issue a lot of policies um, it may not be an insurance company that they actually want to do business with so yeah what
0: well, yeah well and that's that's kind of true for non-resident and resident. Uh, people, you know, buying policies is it- from disreputable companies is, is not a great idea okay. on either account. You, you mentioned something there, though, that is that is interesting. And I think it is somewhat unique in that that area where in some countries it, it's actually illegal for American insurance companies to kind of solicit business from um, residents of that country. Uh, I've been told that that's the case in Mexico. So you have similar issues there where you you really can't go down and sell the the exact individual policy. There's nothing against educating people like it sounds like you're doing in Colombia, but, you know, it sounds like Colombia is somewhat similar. You run into issues if you're kind of soliciting uh, purchases of specific policies. You're kind of marketing those policies.
1: You could run into that issue with uh, Colombian regulators, which I'd probably be somewhat fearful of. But you also run into that issue with U.S. regulators as far as solicitation of specific uh, sales. Mm-hmm. So it, you you go, you talk about general concepts, uh, you talk about the uh, applications of those concepts, and then if you want to show somebody an illustration from an insurance company uh, or show them exactly how the policy would work in their particular case, it's done in the United States, which is where they do the underwriting. So uh, we need them to send uh, their medical records to us. In many cases, and for my uh, clients from Colombia, they're in Spanish, so I have to have them translated. They have to be generally done by a certified translator. Uh, They have to uh, come to the U.S. and and a lot of them come to Miami uh, to do their medical exam and and sign their forms. And, uh, uh, you know, then all of the underwriting is sent to the insurance company and it's a slow process. So you can often expect that uh, you start this uh, process with the family. It could take three or four or five months. Uh, before we actually get a policy issued.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it just all of those logistics alone uh, mean that it's going to take that long. Yeah, it seems to come up in in two scenarios. Uh, you, well, we've we've mentioned one, which which you sort of teed up here, which was uh, say a, a family in Colombia that's of means they want to get some money out. We're not talking about nefarious illegal things here. So anybody thinking that like that's not what we're talking about talking about, you know, business people, regular people in Colombia who are of some means. They want to get some money out of the country. We're just picking on Colombia here by way of example, by the way. But, um, you know, they want to get some money out of the the country. They want to house that money in a relatively stable market. The U.S. happens to be the most stable typically uh, or viewed as the most stable typically. And so, you know, they're buying a policy for that purpose uh, along with some of the tax benefits. There's a second uh, scenario that I, tend to see a lot, and I imagine you see quite a bit just by virtue of where you live, which is um, non-residents who have already gone and done the thing that they shouldn't have done, and they bought property in the U.S. directly. So now they own property in the U.S. directly, and they have an estate tax problem, and they have income tax problems too, but they have an estate tax problem just by virtue of owning that property. And it's like you're, you're winding back the clock 20 or 30 years from an estate tax perspective, back to when we had very low exemptions, because their exemption is $60,000. And so they need insurance in addition to potentially fund the estate tax on the assets that they already bought and they have, and they can't just divest without paying tax.
1: I've seen that uh, situation. I think that uh, uh, a lot of times they're buying a property in Miami or they're buying in uh, somewhere here in South Florida. And uh, like you said, they're putting it, they're not structuring it or titling it property. Properly, So, yeah, they don't get much of an exemption. Uh, that 60,000 bucks is, is generally what they're going to get. Uh, in many cases. Also, we have, as I mentioned, we have clients that have that are foreign nationals, non, non-residents, non-citizens, and, but they have kids that could be U.S. citizens. Uh, and there's some interesting things that you can do from gifting perspectives uh, as far as how those uh, policies are structured in, in making um, gifts from a foreign parent to uh, kids that might live in the United States. And you can do that in a way that uh, can even benefit not the second generation, but the third generation. Uh, if you, um Uh, do some things where you put the insurance policy maybe on their kids who might be in their 20s or their 30s and make generation three uh, the beneficiary. We've done some of that structuring. Most of the families who we're working with uh, generally have multi-generational wealth. And the uh, question is not just how do I uh, get it uh, uh, to my kids, but often how do I get it to my grandkids or my great-grandkids, as I'm sure many of your clients are concerned about as well,
0: Brent. Yeah, absolutely. And for clients from that part of the world, of course, every country is different, but clients from that part of the world, um, depending on what the law is, like you're pointing out, because these laws change uh, quite frequently. but, But Depending on what the law is, uh, you know, they may have a different view, for example, of trusts than the U.S. does, and they might either not necessarily recognize trusts, or if they do recognize trust, they they view the trust as a, a non-transparent bucket, so to speak, from a tax perspective, meaning that the income that's being generated within that bucket is not taxable to the beneficiaries, even if, say, they're living in Colombia or the resident in Colombia or some other country. Again, depends on the laws of the specific country and so using in that case even using a trust to hold on to the proceeds or even own those policies can be handy both from the sort of u.s estate tax perspective but then also from tax efficiencies in their home jurisdiction because they get they can get some tax deferral in their home jurisdiction while the money is even paid out of the policy. So now it's paid out on a tax-free basis. And then it's reinvested with somebody like you who knows how to do that. And now it's taxable, and it, but it's going to be taxable inside the United States, likely in a jurisdiction that's doesn't have any state income tax, and that it's going to be held in U.S. markets, which is where the money was intended to be anyways. And then it's going to be invested for these future generations within the U.S. And that's a pretty typical structure for us.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I see that a lot. I uh, never try to do the structuring on my own because I always want to bring somebody that's uh, smart like you, that uh, understands the trust law, the uh, Uh, LLC laws, all of the ways that you need to uh, structure these things so that it's done properly and the uh, funds uh, stay uh, within U.S. jurisdiction if that's what the client's looking for. And yeah, you want to pick a state that doesn't have a uh, state income tax in many cases. And you might want a state that also has a very low premium Tax on insurance policies. So we see a lot of uh, policies where the clients want to write them in places like South Dakota, uh, which has an extraordinarily low premium tax and some pretty favorable uh, trust laws, as I'm sure you know. So yeah. uh, you know, there's there's a lot of ways that you can do this, and it really involves creating a great team. So there are trust and estate lawyers like yourself that I have in the United States. There are trust and estate lawyers that I, I work with, and uh, one of your partners is a reason that we're connected. So I would, uh, you know, thank uh, your partner Rodrigo in uh, the Bogota office for uh, putting us in touch. He's uh, got uh, some great clients in Colombia and does uh, phenomenal work for them in uh, uh, their trust and estate planning. It takes a team. Because I don't pretend that I know uh, U.S. law or any type of foreign law. I know insurance. I know uh, investments. uh, And I understand people and what they're trying to accomplish. But some of the specifics of how you uh, put all of this together can get pretty complex. And I don't want to try to do that all on my
0: own. Yeah, it's the same from my perspective. I I don't know anything about the different insurance products and which are good and which are bad. And I need people. And and that leaks into all the investment decisions as well. I need people who are actually smart and can make those decisions and, and say for Rodrigo, when I do work with Rodrigo, I don't know anything about Colombian law. So oftentimes I just have to turn to him and say like, okay, so this is the way we would do it here. What happens there? Are there any problems there? And he'll talk me through it and we'll, you know, find some meeting of the minds until we are happy with a structure that works for everybody. It's a, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting dynamic as well, because sometimes these families, they want to be invested in investments beyond, say, a a typical investment fund or investment mix that might be available in a commercial policy. And sometimes um, those people are still looking for life insurance that allows them more flexibility on the investments. If they're trying to do that, then what kind of options would they have?
1: So we're getting in an area called Uh, private placement uh, insurance. And I'll give you a high level overview Mm -hmm. uh, without any specifics because it's a a U.S. securities product. So private uh, placement life insurance is issued by companies that uh, uh, are willing to allow uh, either people in the U.S. or foreign nationals to uh, make specific investments inside of a Policy. So, for example, if you own a hedge fund and that particular hedge fund is not tax efficient, they do a lot of buying and a lot of selling and they throw off a lot of uh, capital gains every year that you have to pay tax on. In many cases, you might want to wrap that hedge fund inside of a what's called a private placement insurance policy and those types of policies generally have very high uh, funding requirements. We're talking about a uh, million or two million dollars just to start. And many of these policies can be tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars uh, that is um, in cash of cash value that's inside of uh, these products. So there are commercial. Uh, kind of off the shelf variations of those types of products. Uh, They're offered by some of the major insurance companies that I do business with on a a day-to-day basis. But then there are also more bespoke uh, type products that are offered by what I would call boutique um, insurance companies that just specialize in uh, helping people put specific assets inside of a policy. One of the keys though, and people don't understand this, is one of the requirements is that the uh, person who owns the policy, who's, who's putting the funds in the policy, can't have control over the investments inside of the policy. So I work with a lot of hedge fund uh, families in my practice in Connecticut. And uh, if they are the hedge fund manager and they want to put their own fund in the uh, product, generally is not going to fly. It's not going to be uh, in line with the regulations. But if they want to have five other hedge funds inside of their uh, policy that uh, they put cash value into, yeah, they can do that as long as they're not uh, in control of those assets.
0: Yeah, so it gives you a little more flexibility. But to your point, you don't, you're not the commander. And so, and you can't have that sort of authority, otherwise it's going to blow up the life insurance uh, status of the policy from a tax perspective. And of course, you're doing it because it's life insurance from a tax perspective. So if it doesn't have that quality, you're really just investing directly in, in taxable entities and that defeats the purpose. So yeah, there's a, I think it's an interesting market. I think it's an interesting market for foreign investors in particular who are trying to invest in the U.S., um, but also want to have some sort of hedge against taxes, both income tax and and estate tax. But to your point, it really depends, I think, at least in my experience, on how committed they are, because it is a big commitment. Somebody's got to write a very large check to get those policies off the ground.
1: They do. And, you know, the other thing, uh, there's underwriting that uh, has to take place in all of these situations. The other question I get a lot is how much is of a drag is the cost of insurance, Mm. because yes, you're getting the tax savings, but you know, as well as I do, you don't get anything for free. So in in a commercial policy, uh, your drag on um, the cost of the insurance might be one to one and a half percent in a um, private placement policy. It's probably half of that, depending upon how much you're uh, putting in uh, to the policy. But mm-hmm. What what people need to understand is you try to put in as much cash as you possibly can in most of these policies and buy as little insurance as you can to keep the policy tax qualified so that you're not paying for a lot of insurance. Because in many cases, we're not doing this necessarily for a big life insurance benefit. We're doing it for a cash value accumulation play that's legal. It qualifies as life insurance. The insurance company has some risk in, in the game, mm-hmm. uh, but we're trying to get cash in there and keep the cost of the insurance down as much as possible so the investments can make, you know, uh, a reasonable rate of return.
0: Right. Under normal circumstances. Forgetting about the forgetting about the last uh, four or five months of this year. I've been through
1: this a few times.
0: This too I shall remember. End. Yes, I remember. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, the, the talk in 2010 where people were saying, we're not going to fully recover for five, six, seven years. And I remember thinking then, oh my goodness, this is going to last a long time. And it basically has. Well, also you consider that uh, interest rates are basically only now starting to get back to pre-recession levels. That's how long We've had cut rate insurance or or interest rates in this country, which is basically the residual of the Great Recession. So it's a you know, we've it's been a long journey, but it it will continue with or without us. No one is in control. Okay. Well, Carrie, I really appreciate it. Uh, I could chat with you this, about this sort of stuff all day long, but I know you've got things to do and I've got things to do. If people are trying to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: So on the website is C-A-R-Y-S-T-A-M-P dot com, or they can email me at Carrie, C-A-R-Y at com. Uh, probably the best way to uh, reach out and happy to talk through uh, concepts with any of your listeners, uh, any of your colleagues or partners. And. And uh, given the benefit of uh, what I have learned in this marketplace, the last seven or eight years on the international side and the last 30 plus years uh, just working with families in in the wealth management space. Thank you for having me. You've been a great host, Brent.
0: I really appreciate that. Thanks, Kerry. Cheers. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at WealthinLaw.com and follow me on social media at Love and Law. I'll see you there.